Um, as we get ready to jump into this today, I have to make a bit of a confession. I told you something two weeks ago that turned out to not be true. At the time it was true, but it turned out to not be true. I told you last week that Matt would be wrapping up our series, Now What? And at the time, that was a true statement. And you guys know me, I I like to plan sermons and series out months in advance. We've got everything all the way up until Christmas season on the calendar already. And I I like to to have those out there. And and it's funny how God makes me think I'm really smart because I'll put stuff on the calendar. And then it turns out when three months later that sermon rolls around, it's like super relevant for that time. I was like, okay, that's God showing off, making me look like I knew what I was talking about, but it's really God doing God's thing. Well, This is the flip side of that. Uh, Last week, we took the weekend off, and I went over to the coast to just kind of get away for the day, and and, uh, kind of our first weekend off since Christmas, and escaped the 107-degree heat here in GP, and I was listening to a church service, or watching a church service actually online before we left, and I saw a sermon that I've seen several times before, and some of you have seen it too. I talked to, I know Oli and a couple others in first service had seen a similar a sermon to this, um, and it, it's funny because it, we were supposed to be starting a new series today called Curveball, like what to do when life kind of throws curveballs at us, and God threw one at me last Sunday, so we adjusted the calendar the next few weeks and, and added this in, because as I watched this and I heard this sermon, it was just, just as relevant today as it was, if not more relevant today than it was when I first heard it several years ago, but the, the, the sermon, it's been preached by many different preachers in many different venues, it's set up on the premise of these three chairs, and it's, it's based on a book called Experiencing Spiritual Breakthrough by Dr. Bruce Wilkinson. And the premise of these three chairs is simple. Every single one of us, in the church, out of the church, whatever, are sitting in one of these three chairs. Okay, the, the, there's none of us just out floating out in space somewhere. The first chair, this one on my right, this chair represents a Christian who is completely, totally, 100% bought in, they're completely under the direction and authority, uh, authority of Jesus Christ. The second chair. This represents a Christian who is unsure, maybe of just exactly how much to, to uh, submit to Jesus. This chair, this big brown chair over here, this represents the person who's not a Christian, person who is apart from God. They've either not decided to follow Jesus, or they've decided to not follow Jesus, or they've walked away from the church, they've walked away from from their faith. That's what this chair over here represents. And if you could kind of sum these up in one word, you could say that this first chair is a committed person, this chair is somebody who's compromised, and this chair is uh, somebody who conforms to the world. And and here's kind of what these chairs are going to represent. I want to... I want to make a bit of a disclaimer right off the bat here, because what we're going to see with each of these three chairs, in particular these two chairs, is, is I'm going to be pretty blunt and brutally honest with some, some things today. And in no way, shape, or form is anything I'm about to say a form of condemnation. It is a form of, we need to keep our eyes open and make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing as the church. Because as, as the statistics are showing us, there was a, a, a poll done in late 2019 This chair is growing more and more by the day. 65% of Americans today, or at the end of 2019, would identify and call themselves a Christian. You may say, well, that's that's two-thirds. That's not bad. Well, a decade ago, it was over 75%. And even that, that, that description, identifying themselves as a Christian, what's that mean? It means that they basically will say, yeah, I believe in God. 
I believe in Jesus. They don't necessarily do anything with it. Maybe they come to church, you know, Christmas and Easter. Maybe they might come a, a time or two throughout the year. But by and large, God and church don't really have any effect on their lives. Because that number 65%, what, what the other number that comes with that shows us is there's a lot who just say, I believe in God, because only 40 to 45% of Americans will say they attend church on a regular basis. And that's pretty conservative because regular basis means at least once a month. So let's just kind of think through this a little bit. This chair represents about 60% of our country right now, 55, 60% of our country. This chair, take, take that other you know, 40% that attends church, this chair right here represents 80 to 85% of the church. 80 to 85%, closer to 85% of Christians. This chair represents about 15% of Christians. So this chair is 15% of the 40%. So just kind of keep that in mind as we work our way through this, because what we're going to see is how these chairs, how sitting in this chair, this chair, that chair, how it affects the way we view all these different aspects of life. First off, what do these chairs tell us about our relationship with God? Well, to answer this, I'm going to look at three biblical figures here. Now, there's, there's many places in the Bible you can find somebody that's first chair, second chair, third chair. But this particular example, you've got three direct generations, a, a, a father, his son, and then eventually his grandson. So this first chair we could say is David. Now, David sat in the first chair, and, and what we say about David is he had a devoted heart. He put God first in everything that he did. Now, if you know the story of David, he was far from perfect, Right? Uh, sitting in this first chair doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have sins. And in the case of David, some pretty bad ones. If you don't know much about David, he uh, had an affair with a married woman and then decided to have her husband murdered to cover it up. I have never quite gone to that extreme in my life of sin. I, I hope that none of you have either. But either way, David, regardless of what he did, it was said about David in 1 Samuel chapter 13 that he had a heart after God. He chased after God's heart, and he, he longed to keep God's command. So when you sit on the first chair, you say, well, what is, what do I, how do I view God? You ask the question, how can I put God first in everything that I do? Every decision I make, every word that I say, every thought that I think, how can I put God and his kingdom first in everything that I do? What about the second chair? Well, for the second chair, we look at David's son Solomon. And what we see about Solomon was that Solomon had a divided heart. And... What that means with a divided heart is he wanted to please God, but he wanted to please himself. Now, let's be honest about this here. If you're trying to please God and please yourself, at the end of the day, what that really means is you're going to try to fulfill yourself first and plug God in where you can. What, I mean, what do I mean by that? You'll follow God except where it's uncomfortable or inconvenient. Solomon, uh, his story was that he started chasing after other gods. It says this in 1 Kings chapter 11. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of his father David had been. What's that mean? It means we value church. We'll be there, unless there's something else to go do. You, know, you don't have to be a perfect attendance Christian to sit in the first chair, but church needs to be a priority. The Bible needs to be a priority. Prayer needs to be a priority. That's a big difference. When you sit in this chair, you'll follow Christ when it's easy, when it's convenient, when it fits into your schedule. What about this third chair? Well, for this chair, we look at Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam, 
if you don't know much about him, David followed God, Solomon sort of followed God, Rehoboam had nothing to do with God. In fact, it says this in 1 Kings 12, Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. Those uh, old men it talks about, those are the spiritual advisors of Solomon, and even some still left from David. And Rehoboam's like, yeah, no thanks, you're not needed here. He turned instead to the people who were going to tell him what he wanted to hear. They were going to affirm him rather than lead him. So what's this third chair say? The third chair says, I'm going to just live however I want. I don't need anything. I want to make another disclaimer because I know many people, like you do, who live in this third chair. I know many people who have been in this third chair for years, maybe their whole lives. And I know some very good people in this third chair, some very giving, loving, sacrificial people. So don't paint people who sit in this chair as just being the worst of the worst, okay? These are people who genuinely love others, but there's not a place for God in their hearts. And sometimes what we see with people here is they love others at the expense, really, of sometimes common sense. They, they worship at the altar of humanity sometimes. And so with Rehoboam, we said he had a dead heart, that he was focused on himself. So you kind of see that's one, two, three generations from following God to not following God at all. And we see, we're going to kind of see throughout this a pattern of how this, this plays out. What about the Bible? What do these chairs tell us about the Bible? What does the Bible mean in our lives? Well, if you're in the first chair, you obey the Bible. You read it, you study it, you learn it, you know it. You put it in your heart so that when a situation comes, you're prepared. You, maybe you start your day off with the Bible, maybe you end your day with the Bible, but you make reading the Bible every day a priority for you. What about uh, the second chair? Well, the second chair with the Bible, you, you respect it. Maybe you even revere it. Maybe you do believe it's God's word, but it doesn't map out every decision in life for you. You, uh, you, you read the Bible when it's convenient, you know, when you remember to. Maybe you read it at church. Maybe you just read it when you're having a bad day. Maybe you just turn to it when you need an answer, and that's all. Those aren't bad things, but that shouldn't be the only thing either. What the second chair with the, does with the Bible in particular, there, there's two things that the second chair tends to do with the Bible that are both very dangerous. The first is we tend to cherry pick it. And what do I mean by that? You go through and you grab the parts of the Bible you want. We all highlight certain verses. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Everybody's favorite. I know the plans I have for you. We highlight those. We memorize those. We put them on our wall. We, we get picture frames on and on. But at the same time, we tend to ignore a verse that says, take up your cross and follow me. Or in this world, you will have suffering. Or rejoice when you, when you have trials and sufferings of many kind. We don't like those. We ignore those. The second thing we do from this chair with the Bible that's just as damaging, and if not more so, is we change what it means. We've seen a lot of churches change the meaning of Scripture to fit their new agenda, and they've changed their doctrine to fit social agendas, what the society and the world is telling us we should believe. That's what a second chair church will do. What about a third chair? Well, a third chair owns a Bible, because pretty much everybody's got one laying around somewhere. I, I told you a few weeks ago, I had a roommate in college who had decided he was done being a Christian, and his grandma gave him a Bible for 
his birthday. He, had, he hadn't told his grandma yet that he was walking away from his church, so she sent him a Bible with his name printed on it. As long as I knew him, that was only taken out of its box the day he got it. So he owned it. He had one, but he didn't do much with it. Now, this third chair occasionally will use the Bible, but if they do, it's to show where people in the second chair are doing things wrong. They're going to throw it back at them. What about our values? This is uh, where it starts getting a little bit touchy. Because you see, with our values, we, we have such a wide range of values in our society today. Wide range. Even church to church, even family to family within the church. What we value, what we establish. In other words, values is we determine why we do what we do and how we do it. Well, when you're in this first chair, your values come from the Bible. They come from Scripture. And when your values come from Scripture, you're going to be consistent because they determine what you do. The Bible determines what you do. It's not hard to peg somebody who's a first-chair Christian because they're consistent on a daily basis, even when it's not popular, even when it's not easy, even when they're catching the arrows being thrown at them by society. That's where a first-chair Christian gets their values. What about a second chair? When you're in this second chair, you get your values from the Bible and also society, also other people. I said earlier, 85% of the church sets here, and this is, to me, where it starts to make a little bit more sense, and I start to believe that number more. Because I'm going to value what the Bible says about some things. I'm not going to murder anybody. I'm not going to steal from others. I'm not going to cheat on my spouse. But I don't know about this thing over here. I'm, I, I don't know. I think the Bible's a little harsh on this thing over here. That's what we do, right? We, we, we start to compartmentalize. We put... Jesus over here with this stuff, but Jesus, you probably shouldn't look at this stuff because, I mean, let's be honest, you probably wouldn't approve of it, but it's okay. Think of it like you got a, a, a set of dresser drawers. Jesus is in your top drawer, like where he should be, you know, on, on top of your priorities. And, and you go to that one every day to, to get to Jesus, but there's one underneath there that's good stuff. It's good things. Not necessarily Jesus, but they're good things. You're, you're loving others, helping others. Third drawer, it's, you know, starting to get a little further away. The bottom drawer, we don't really want to talk about what we put in our bottom drawer. But it's a long ways from Jesus, right? We compartmentalize. When you start to compartmentalize, you start to say, I'll follow God here, but not here. What about the third chair? Where do your values come from? Well, they come just from society. You conform to where society is going. And here's what you need to understand about this chair here. When you conform to society, you're going to change as society changes. You're going to go with the trendiest, easiest to follow, and easiest to hear voice. Here's a warning about this chair. And I think you guys can kind of understand this concept. Because some of you guys have a recliner. Some of you have one of these in your house. Some of you occasionally will even, you know, kick it back and relax. Here's what I discovered about recliners and chairs like this. The longer you sit in a chair like this, the harder it is to get out. Now, I mean that literally. The longer you, I mean, some of us now have recliners that when we're done, we push a button and it like dumps us out, you know? <laughs> but these chairs aren't easy to get out of when you've sat in them for a long time because they're so comfortable. You can sleep in these. But that's true, the third chair too. The longer you sit in the third chair, the harder it is to get out of that third chair. Now, here's where this is such a big issue on our values. We have such a wide range of values. And we get our values 
from a source we believe to be true. And if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this, about the fear in our society and how we can't believe uh, what we read and hear anymore with stuff that's going on in the news, with whether it's COVID or whether it's stuff in Portland or, or whatever. We just like, what's the truth? What's the actual true story? We don't really fully know, right? Well, here's the problem. When we start to get away from a, a truth source, I start determining what my values are. And we said a couple of weeks ago that like 60-something percent of Americans today don't believe in an absolute moral right and wrong. And almost 50% of Christians don't believe in an absolute moral right and wrong. When that's the case, we're determining our own moral compasses. We're determining our own uh, basis for what's right and wrong. And here's the thing. We, we might have, like, we're, we have different values, and 95% of them might be the same, but that 5% is always going to be bigger than that 95%. Why? Because that's what we focus on. And what we're seeing more and more as we're getting further and further away, we're just pushing this this Bible and chair away from what we determine our values to be. When we do that, we will have division. We will have conflict. We will have strife. Because it's starting to become me versus you and us versus them. The further we push the Bible away, there's no getting around it the more division we're going to have. I turned 38 last week. I've never seen our country more divided than it is right now. Some of you lived through the 60s. Maybe you can tell me later whether that was worse than this. I don't know. But right now, I can tell you in my lifetime, it's never been worse than it is. And I don't see it getting better in the next few months. We have an election in three months that, I mean, I'm dreading. I'll be honest with you. (laughs) Because I just feel like it's going to continue to push us further and further apart. And what we need to remember, church, is this. When we push the Bible further and further away from the source of our truth and the source of our values, what we have to admit as a church, we're allowing the outside world and society to start impacting and changing us rather than the other way around. That's exactly what's happening with many churches today. Let's get a little more personal with this. What does the, these, these chairs tell us about marriage? Well, this first chair, if, if you're a first chair uh, Christian, if you're a first chair family with, with you, this, uh, th- your marriage is a covenant, meaning it's unbreakable. There's no conditions on it. Uh, Jennifer and I got married uh, just over 11 years ago. And uh, when we got married that day, we stood uh, on the stage in a church in front of a church full of our friends and family. We made a promise to those people there and a promise to God that we would love each other, that we would honor each other, that we would uh, keep each other for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, sickness and health, on and on. Now, unless you wrote your own vows at your wedding, I'm assuming you made a very, very similar statement and promise. And here's the thing about our marriage. Our marriage, is it perfect? No. Do we have disagreements? Yes. Am I always the one who's right? Ask me later when she's not sitting five feet from me. But here's the thing with our marriage. There's one word that's never been allowed to be discussed in our home. Even in the midst of a fight where we just want to get out of the house and and not see each other, we never even consider the notion and the idea of divorce. It's simply not an option for us. We're in this through thick and thin. Now, she likes to sometimes use the phrase um, that divorce is not an option, but 
murder might be. So if I ever show up missing, I don't want to point fingers, but you know where to start looking. What about the second chair? The first chair views the marriage as a covenant. The second chair views the marriage as a contract. What's the difference? Like, well, it's the same thing. No, it's really not. A covenant has no conditions. A covenant is not easily broken. A contract does have conditions, and as long as those conditions are met, the contract is solid, but when those conditions stop being met, the contract is void. If you've ever signed a legal document, a legal contract, you know how that works, right? If the other side's not meeting their, their expectations and their requirements, then the contract is void. How does that work with marriage? Well, we, we look at our marriage and we go, I'm going to love you for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, if, fill in the blank. As long as you're meeting my needs, I'm going to honor yours. It's a self-first marriage. Third chair. Well, marriage is an option. It's, it's an option these days. It's a convenience, if you want to call it that. Marriage isn't required in society anymore. Once upon a time it was, even a generation ago, you, you rarely saw a, a, a family where the couple was not married raising kids. Now it's, it's socially accepted. And so marriage for this third chair is an option. What about, uh, what about parenting? What does it tell us about parenting? Now, a lot of you, your kids are grown. Uh, if you're like me, we're still uh, raising our kids. We've got an eight-year-old, we've got a uh, five-year-old and a two-year-old. If you're parenting from the first chair, you are confident. Does that mean it's easy? No, but you're confident. Why? Because you're applying biblical principles to the lives of your child from an early age. You're teaching them from an early age to start asking the question. You ask yourself, how can I put God in his kingdom first And what I do? Second chair. You're, you're parenting from the second chair. You're hopeful. You're hopeful. Because we're over here, you use the Bible as the guide for the lives of your child. Here, the Bible is an influence in the lives of your child. You want them to learn the Bible, but you don't necessarily instill it in them yourself. You maybe rely on Sunday school or VBS or a, a Christian school you send your kids to or Christian friends that you want your kids to be involved in. Those are great things, great things. But that's not necessarily reinforced at home. Go back to your values in this chair the Bible determines some of your values, maybe not all of your values. And how does that work with your kids? Well, they see that. They see that. What about the third chair? Third chair, this is going to sound harsh. It's going to sound mean. I don't mean it to be that way. If you're raising your kids from the third chair, you're confused. Now, what do I mean by that? The Bible has no say-so in the lives of your kids. Society does. And here's the problem with society. What society is telling us to value today is drastically different than what society told us to value five years ago and ten years ago. Imagine a, a teenager who has seen that much change in the world in their short lives. It's no wonder to me that kids from this chair, when they grow up and they go to college, really have no concept of what the world is trying to offer them. They're convinced that they do, but they really don't. Because the world that they are being told to value and follow is changing so fast and rapidly around them. Now, here's a question I want to ask you. Because this, when I heard this stat, this kind of just shook me a little bit. Which chair do you think the kids from these parents go to? If you're in the first chair and you raise your kids in the first chair, the statistics are overwhelming. Your kids will be first chair. My grandma is 90. She turned 90 last fall. She was raised in the first chair. 
Her whole life she has been in the first chair. Her parents were in the first chair. She has six siblings, and by and large, they have all been in the first chair. My grandpa did not come to the Lord until he was in his 40s. He lived his life in the third chair where his family was. My grandpa was one of those that when he became a Christian, he jumped from the third chair to the first. He, he jumped straight into the deep end of the pool. That's how he was. And I watched my grandparents my entire life just giving me the blueprint of what a first chair Christian looked like. When the doors of the church were open, they were there. Sometimes when the doors weren't open, they were there. My, my grandma worked in the home. She, she, she didn't work outside the home after my mom was born. My grandpa worked in a tire factory that most of the men in our hometown worked in. And yet, when the doors of the church were open, they were there. My grandma served on women's ministries. My grandpa uh, just, he wasn't really the kind to be up front, but he had his hands dirty all the time. Uh, in fact, there was a time about 15, 16 years ago, you could walk into the foyer uh, First Assembly of God Church in Miami, Oklahoma, which is one of the bigger churches in our town. And every piece of woodwork you saw was from his hands. He served that church faithfully. My mom is the youngest of three daughters. My Aunt Nancy, my Aunt Donna, or her two older sisters. None of them have served in full-time ministry. They've all had jobs outside. My Aunt Donna was a school teacher. My Aunt Nancy worked in a bank. My mom is a nursing instructor. But I've watched all three of them faithfully, regularly, for years, serve in the church. My Aunt Donna has taught Sunday school. Now her and my Uncle Larry lead young adults. They're in their 70s, and they're still serving as much as they possibly can. My Aunt Nancy has served on music teams. My mom has served on music teams faithfully for years. I'm the fifth of six cousins in the third generation. And I can tell you, myself being in full-time ministry, my cousin Aaron uh, has been in full-time ministry as a youth pastor and a missionary. He's currently coaching high school basketball and serving a church, leading their youth, and his wife is leading their music. Three of my other cousins are not employed by a church, but they're extremely active in the church. First-chair Christians produce first-chair Christians because that's how we were raised. That's the foundation that was laid before us. What about the third chair? The third chair. Kids raised in the third chair tend to stay in the third chair. We see this. Now, does that mean somebody who is raised in the third chair can't come to the first chair? No, absolutely not. The numbers are pretty heavy, though, that people who grow up in this third chair have a hard time getting to that first chair. It happens. Some of you did that. Some of you moved from this third chair to that first chair, and you're a great testimony. You're, you're a better testimony to people in the third chair than I am because you've gone through and lived the lives that they might be living. This is the one that really gets me, though, the second chair. Because here's what the statistics show about this second chair. The kids raised in the second chair by parents who are second chair Christians, they're going to grow up in the second chair, and when they get it on their own, when they move out, the numbers are overwhelming that they move to the third chair. I've seen it with friends. I've seen it with people we went to church with. And it's heartbreaking. But here's why. I grew up in the first chair. I had a fairly solid foundation. I was taught not just what to believe, but why to believe it. So when I got into the world and somebody tried to challenge my beliefs, I knew how to respond to that. Kids in the second chair don't. They're taught what to believe. They're not necessarily taught why. Why? Their parents have been kind of wishy-washy. 
You know, they follow Jesus here, but not there. They see inconsistency. And so they get into college or they get into life and somebody challenges their beliefs and they don't have a response. Or maybe, it's a little bit different scenario, something happens to them. They lose, the, they lose a friend, they see tragedy in the world, and they ask the question, God couldn't possibly be real because he wouldn't have allowed this to happen. And they flock to this third chair. I thought about this a lot this week because the millennial generation, let's be honest, the church that are in the Gen X, Boomer, and, and Builder generations, the, that generation that we all just love to pile on, they are flocking to this third chair. Why? Because they were raised in the second chair. And what have they seen? They've seen a, a second chair where, even in the church, divorce rates are about 50%. They've seen a church, a, second chair, a church in the second chair that, that tells them, well, you know what? God tells you not to steal and hurt others and do this, but, you know, it's okay to, to believe these other things. And here's what they've come to realize. They've come to realize there's not a whole lot of difference in this chair and this chair. If we were really making a good visual representation here, these chairs are pretty close together, and this first chair really should be like way out here. Because there's a pretty big gap in the first and the second chairs. You know the biggest difference between the second chair and the third chair? People in the second chair have been baptized. And that's about it. They haven't really changed. They haven't really changed who they are. They haven't really changed uh, the way they go about life. Yeah, you can probably get to heaven from this second chair, but you're probably not going to take anybody with you. Because I've come to figure this out by getting to know more people in the third chair. When they don't see a big difference between these two chairs, they have zero interest in the church. And if 85% of the church is in this chair right here, then what in the world is the point of moving from that one? That's a lot more comfortable. You can sit in that one for ages. That's the chair that the world wants to be in. As a church, we've lost sight of that a little bit. And as I've, I've, I've thought about this, and as I prayed about this message this week, it, it just it broke my heart to see how kids just move down the line. And so, so here's a couple of questions I kind of want you to think about today a little bit. The first chair is which, or first question is, which of these chairs do you want to want to sit in? I hope, I hope it's the first chair. But here's, here's, here's something we need to consider. If we were to go out after service and we were to get to talking and I were to say, hey, what chair, let's be honest, it's just you and me, nobody else around, what chair do you think you're in right now? Some of you can honestly say you're a first chair. I know a lot of you, you are. You're in the first chair. That's awesome. But a lot of you would probably say something like, you know what, Kurt, I think I'm somewhere like 1.4. Like I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a little closer to the first chair, but I, I'm not all the way in the first chair. A lot of you know I used to, uh, used to do uh, broadcasting. I did high school football games on the radio. And what I came to realize when I broadcasted games was that when I watch games now, I'm as interested in who's broadcasting the game as I am who's playing. Because I pick up on how they broadcast, and in particular, I nitpick the way they say things, the way they do things. My biggest pet peeve when it comes to, to watching sports is listening to broadcasters say things that I think are silly or whatever. Some, some of the things they say just 
aren't actually true. And football is one of them. And so I'm going to make this a pet peeve of yours too because it drives me crazy when you see a team about to score a touchdown and they're inside the one-yard line, they're you know, just a few inches away from the goal line, and the announcer says, they're on the half-yard line. There's no such thing as a half-yard line. I mean, you watch it. They could be six inches away if the guy on the next play scores a touchdown, it's a one-yard touchdown. If you're not in the end zone yet, if you're not on the goal line yet, you're on the one-yard line. Folks, if you're not fully in the first chair, you're in the second chair. There's no 1.1. If you're not fully in the first chair, you're in the second chair. You're all in or you're not. You're not almost. Now, you can be moving this direction. That's great. But you're either all in or you're not. And here's the problem, I think, that, 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 that gets us. I picked these chairs intentionally. I got one that's not real comfortable to sit in for a long period of time over here. You see what my second chair is, right? It's what you all are sitting in. I mean, not literally, not figuratively. But why did I pick this? This is a comfortable chair. Now, assuming that whoever's preaching can keep your attention, you can sit in this chair for a long time. I don't have a very long attention span, so, you know, but if I'm sitting here doing something that's got my attention locked in, I can sit in this chair for a long time. It's comfortable. It's very comfortable. And here's the problem I think that we hit. Here's why we have 85% of our church in this chair today. If we're being very honest with ourselves, church has become more about what we want and how we want it and what's comfortable and safe and feels good. That's church today. And the longer we sit here, the more comfortable we get, the less likely we are to want to go to a chair that's not as comfortable as this. And when we do that, what starts catching our attention? The way we do church. Not so much what's going on in the outside world. We get so blinded by the way we do church that to some degree we come to worship the church more than the Savior who died for the church. And that's a, it's a hard line to find because we want to be committed to our church. We want to be devoted to our church, yes. But we want to make sure that we remember who the church is here to serve. One of the professors at the Bible college I went to said this great line, and, and this line stuck with me immediately. It, it has continued to and will always stick with me. But he was, he, he was saying this, talking about persecution, talking about uh, a lesson on Revelation. He said this, he said, if I were Satan, I would not attack the church physically, but I would wrap it and smother it and bathe it in as much luxury and comfort as I could so that it would forget there's a war to be fought. When I look at the church in the United States of America in 2020, I cannot think of a more profound description of it. We are so interested in consuming ourselves with comfort that when we see a war, we just blame the war for being the war. We forget that's our battle to fight. We're more interested in having things a certain way than we are going and making disciples. This becomes our battleground. This becomes our spot for division. And so we have to make a, we have to make a, uh, a realization, church, that the only way as a church we can continue to be the church is not in the second chair, but it's from this first chair. 
Your question you need to ask yourself today, if you're very honest with yourself and you go, you know what, I'm not fully in the first chair. Here's your question. What do I need to change about myself so that I become a first chair Christian? What do I need to change about myself? That's a question you've got to answer yourself. But here's another question I'm going to throw at you because in the midst of our world today, our world that is just chaotic, COVID and everybody's responses to it, Black Lives Matter and everybody's responses to it, on and on the the list goes, our world that's just, we're trying to make sense of. Let me ask you a question from each of these chairs, how should the person sitting in this chair respond to the world today? If you're in this first chair, it's actually pretty simple. You recommit. You go, I'm in the first chair. I don't need to recommit. I'm already committed. You need to recommit every day. We we, we, uh, recommit by making sure we're still reading our Bible daily, praying daily, putting things first. Maybe you've heard the phrase, uh, once you're married, you don't stop dating your wife. You keep chasing after your wife and dating her even after you're married. You keep chasing after God. It says this in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That should be the first thing that we chase after. So here's what we need to understand, and if you're in the first chair, you probably do understand this already. The world is changing around us, and as one of my former pastors likes to say, the church is no longer the home team. Major League Baseball started back up uh, last week, and uh, I thought it was interesting, like three days before the season started, uh, Canada, the, the nation of Canada, told the Toronto Blue Jays, you can't play your games in Toronto. It's so like three days before, they had to make an adjustment, they're still trying to figure out Basically, they're playing every game on the road this year, even when they're technically the home team. And that's kind of where we're at as a church. We're, we're not the home team anymore. Society has let us know that. We're the underdog now. And I know we see things like what happened last week with the Supreme Court making a decision about a church in Nevada, where a church in Nevada asked for equal, um, equal uh, percentage of, of capacity, the casinos in, in Reno can have 50% capacity. This church was told you can have 50 people, not 50%. They took it all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the governor of Nevada. And we see things like that, and we start to say, what's happening as a church? And here's what I want you to understand. If you're in this first chair, those things are going to happen, and you're going to be able to endure it. This is not a comfortable chair to sit in for a long time. And Jesus made it very clear, in this world, you will have trouble. He made it very clear, the world hated me, it's going to hate you. Paul and James make it very clear that we're going to have suffering, and what do they tell us to do? Celebrate and rejoice and welcome those as we suffer for Jesus. That's what a first-year Christian does, but here's the good news. Society experts have always said this, that when 10% of a population, this 10% that occupy this chair, when 10% of a population radically, completely buy in, and are radically and completely committed to a cause, if they're persistent and they're patient and they endure, they will in time start to change and impact society. So if you're a first-year Christian, man, keep plugging away. It won't be easy, but keep plugging away. What about this third chair? If you're in this third chair, I'm going to ask you to, to receive You recommit in the first chair, you receive in the third chair. Now, I said this earlier, if you're in this third chair, I want you to understand something. Nothing I've said today was said out of of some sort of condemnation. 
Because if you're in this third chair, if you're watching online, maybe you're here in this third chair. We love you. We love you. We believe with all of our hearts at this church that Jesus loves you, that he created you, that he died for you. And we want you to understand and experience what we have come to understand and experience that is the love of Jesus. But here's what I want you to ask yourself. If you're in the third chair, if, you, if you're honestly, can, can tell yourself you're in the third chair, ask yourself a question. Over the last six months, how has the world impacted your views on life? Because I'm seeing from more and more people this, this concept that sitting in the third chair, you're, you're starting to wonder what life is really all about. Because you're hearing one politician say one thing and another politician say another thing and another celebrity say this and another professor say that and an expert say this. And all these things that you think you can trust and believe in, you don't really know anymore. And you're starting to understand what a lot of us have, that nothing in this world can actually satisfy or, or fulfill you. And if that's you, I want to leave you with the words of C.S. Lewis, who said this better than anybody I think ever has. He said this in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is we were made for another world. And Jesus loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. What about the second chair? If you're honest with yourself and you say, I'm a second chair Christian, what do I do? What's my response? This is the most probably harsh and honest of all. If you're in this second chair, you need to repent. You need to quit chasing what the world tells you to chase. Because when you're in this second chair, you're trying to please God and you're trying to please the world. And folks, you cannot do both. If you're trying to do both, you won't do either. You can't. Jesus gave us so many examples of people sitting in the second chair. I was actually reading yesterday morning out of my patio, uh, Mark chapter 10 and 11. And he tells the story of the rich young ruler. Came, hey, teacher, what can I do to follow you? And Jesus says, sell everything you own and give it to the poor. And the man can't do it. And it says, that, it's, it's tragic, the man put his head down and walked away. Because it wasn't like he was too proud to sell it, but he knew he couldn't, he couldn't do it. And he was, I think, ashamed as he walked away. When you're in this second chair, folks, you need to understand that we need to chase God selflessly. Jesus told us this in Matthew, sorry, Luke chapter 9. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I've heard that verse my whole life. Maybe you have too. But when you think about that, to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Talk about recommitting. That's what that means. But there's a harsher warning that I really want to leave you with. And it's a graphic image, but I want you to, to take that with you. Because towards the end of the Bible, Jesus gives one final warning to the people sitting in the second chair. He tells John to write a letter and send it to a church in a town called Laodicea. In Revelation chapter 3, we read this. Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. But because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. The second chair, 
God is going to vomit all over this thing. I don't know about you, I'm not really interested in that. I'm not interested in that whatsoever. Folks, we need to understand something. The difference between this chair and this chair, they may seem vast, but they boil down to one thing. You can be selfish or selfless. The second chair will chase after God, but it's got to be in line with what you want. This first chair, it's about God and his kingdom. I'm just going to say it this way, folks. If, if we want to make an impact in our world, if the church is going to survive long-term, make an impact in the world, it's only going to happen if we are selflessly sold out to Jesus Christ. That's the only way. What's that look like? A selfish Christian is one who shows up at the church saying, what can this church do for me? How can this church fill my needs and meet my needs? And when that stops happening, that person moves on. A selfless Christian shows up saying, how can I impact this church? How can I pour out of myself? Does that mean the first person, first year person doesn't need their needs filled and need to be met? Absolutely, we do. We need to be uh, filling our, our own buckets and having others fill our buckets too, but we're constantly pouring ours out onto others too. We're partners in the ministry. I, I think about this and, and I think about what this looked like for Jesus. Because Jesus had a throne in heaven and he gave it up to come to this earth, to come become one of us. And the Apostle Paul said this about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Father, we... We are so thankful for the example of Jesus, that selfless example of Jesus. And God, I just pray today as a church, we would figure out how to grab that and embrace that because God, it's so, so difficult at times to move into this first chair. Not because we don't want to, but maybe God, we just are so caught up in what we think we're following in the second chair, Lord, that we, we don't know how to move over here. God, I just I pray today for our church. God, for the people here today, if, if we have people here who are sitting in the second chair, Lord, we would start asking the question, what do I have to do to move to that first chair? God, for a world that has rejected your word and has rejected the church and is moving further and further away from you, God, we as a church would move into our first chair so we could remember that we are called to go to that world and make disciples, to go to that world and be your witnesses to go to that world and do for that world what you did for yours when you were here 2,000 years ago. To serve it, to bring life, and to save the lost. God, I know that, that moving into this first chair is not hard because it makes us do a lot of self-realization. And it makes us realize that we don't have it all figured out. God, I pray today you would give us the assurance that it's okay to not have it all figured out. You would give us the encouragement. You would give us the, 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 the endurance to stay in this first chair knowing what's going to be thrown at us. Even on the days when it's hard and it's difficult, 
you would come to us and remind us, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And that as we face persecution, that we can do all things through you. God, we don't know where our world <clears throat> is leading tomorrow. But from this first chair, God, we know that it's going to be okay. Because you're in control. And you're still Lord. We love you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.